morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, if you're visiting here with us today, I want to welcome you to our service, our worship service. And uh, we're excited to have you here with us. And we're excited about what faith can do in our life and what he can do in your life. Uh, people have been asking me, so uh, is, this, is this it? Is this the last one? Last guardrail series? No, no, there's more. There's more. We've got plenty. Now, but next week will be our last week. Uh, so, but then comes something new, so you can get excited about that. You know, we've been doing this series for the last five weeks on guardrails. And as if you notice, we have one right here on stage, an actual guardrail, so you don't forget what we're talking about throughout the lesson. But this same principle, uh, and, and the definition of a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. You know, this same principle that we use in driving, we thought, okay, what if we take this same principle and use it for living? The same way we put these things is we're driving down the road of life. How about if we put guardrails and, and use God's Word as our principal guardrail to keep us from straying and going off into dangerous, off-limit areas? Things that can affect our lives. And, and the whole principle of a, a guardrail is that it might do some damage to you, your car, uh, maybe, you know, some scratches, but you won't die. It will protect you from the greater disaster that holds on the other side of that guardrail. And they always place these guardrails several feet away from danger. So you've got a little buffer zone. So in, in, in the way we're trying to structure this series is, is this is our de definition of a guardrail. What is a guardrail in spiritual terms? Up on the screen you'll see it. A personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. So what is your conscience? The conscience is what distinguishes you between all other animals that walk the earth. You have something inside of you that God gave you to warn you that something's not right. But, you know, sometimes our, our, like every exercise our, in our bodies, our consciences need some exercising. And this whole series is about getting us, you know, fit and ready and sensitizing our conscience so that it can serve as that guardrail and keep you away from what's over there. And everybody in our society would agree when we talk about spiritual guardrails. What's over there is harmful, is damaging. And so we need to keep a safe distance. And so we've been talking about friendships. We've been talking about sexual relationships. We've been talking very frankly and directly about a lot of things. But with the intent of avoiding the other side. That danger. Uh, but one of the things that we have to understand about our culture today, and you're going to see it really clearly in our lesson today. Our culture baits us. Our culture baits us and pulls us into directions that lead us into disaster. Like calling us over. Come on out here to the edge. And we're going to see that today in what we are going to talk about. Uh, and today we're going to look at area number two. We, um, a couple weeks ago we did the first one, but there are two greater needs in our lives. 
One we talked about two weeks ago, and that is our sexual desires. What to do with that. And we need guardrails. Number two we're going to talk about is another great need, is money. And I can already tell you, when people hear money in church, they, they get a little uncomfortable. Okay? And they got this idea in their head, well, you know, the church wants your money. And we're not going to talk about that today. Until the end. <laughs> but this isn't about that. This is today about protecting your life from dangerous things. And never in the history of our country has there ever been a time where we can go and go, wow, if I don't have this on straight with money, I can really mess up my life and my children's life and a lot of people. And we're living that right now as a nation. Uh, so today there's an opportunity. But, you know, my experience as a minister, 90% of the things, and when people hit that you know, they're over there on that other side and they come to me or they come to one of our elders or they come to the ministry staff for help. They say, oh, bro, I got to I gotta get with you because, you know, I got the really, really bad situation. It breaks down into 90% of the time. breaks into these two areas, sex or money. Almost always. Married couple comes up to me and says, oh, we got to get with you. We got some real problems. And I know, sex or money. Yeah. Now, I get surprised sometimes. You know, John, would you agree? You know, somewhere it kind of... Where's John? Did he leave? There he is. I mean, he deals with a lot of stuff. But these are the two main areas where people get in a lot of trouble and they mess up their lives. And today we're going to take those things on. And for the young people in the audience today, you have the opportunity to set yourself up to avoid a lot of hardship and a lot of challenges. And in spite of all these troubles that people are facing, our culture dismisses what the Bible has to say about sex and money. But I want to tell you something, that if for just six months, for just six months, if we were to use the Bible and hold to the Bible in these two areas, for six months, instead of dismiss it, practice it, and live it, if our country did that for six months, do you realize what would happen? There would be a revolution. And for just six months, if we would listen to what the Bible says about these two danger zones and follow these guardrails. But uh, I want to assure you that uh, it, I'm not going to gain any financial benefit from today's lesson. And I'll, I'll go into that more. Because a lot of people think, well, what's, what's the agenda? What's really the agenda? Why is the minister sharing this? Because I genuinely care about your life, family, and well-being. And that's what this is about. You know, what a, what a, why does the Bible, and you're going to know this the more you read the Bible, some of you who've read the Bible a lot, the Bible does talk a lot about money. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Why is that? Why does the Bible talk so much about money throughout? It's one of the more popular topics. And the reason is, is because it's not about money in and of itself. It has nothing to do with money, but rather your devotion. The effect that money has on your life and heart. And 
Sometimes money can take a really bad place in our lives, and you've seen it. Maybe you've even lived it. But you know, what do you think is God's chief competitor for your heart? What would you say? The devil? How many of you woke up this morning and said, Hmm, I wonder who I'm going to go worship today. I'm going to go worship God on one hand, or maybe I'll go worship the devil this morning. Now, if that's your situation, then you you're probably need another sermon and maybe another church. That happens, but it's extremely rare. Nobody thinks like that. The great majority of us do not think like that. We want to worship God, but we don't understand what is God's chief competitor? Money. And Jesus is going to talk about it today. He's going to let us know. He's going to clue us in. And it's money and the effect that it has on our lives. Look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And understand this, there's a tension between God and money. And the reason why money is such a big issue is because money is the only thing that we can use or have to provide us with a false sense of security. Check it out. If you have money, you don't have to worry today about where you're going to eat and where you're going to get your food. If you've got more money, then you don't have to worry what you're going to do for food this whole week. If you've got more money, then you don't have to worry about how to pay your bills this month. If you've got even more than that, you don't have to worry about your home. And guess what? If you've got even more, you don't need God anymore. You don't need Him. He is not a necessity in your life. Because you're covered. You've got it all. Your food... Even if you go get sick and you're, you're not healthy, guess what? You can go to the doctor. You can go to the hospital. You can go to UCLA and get the best medical care maybe in the world. Isn't that awesome? Where's God? See, money is the only thing that can do that. And it will give you a false sense of security. That's why the Bible talks about it. That's why Jesus is addressing it right here. You can't have it both ways. If God, if you believe in Him and you serve Him, guess what? He's got to be your master. He's got to be your Lord. But this is a, this is a thing that happens, and, and we're going to break it down here. There are two ditches. When you're driving down the road of life, there's two ditches on both sides. And we need guardrails on both ones. And this is financially. Ditch number one is you've got the consumers or consuming. That's a big ditch over here on the left. And we have the consumers. And break this down. These people believe that everything comes your way to what? To consume. I need to consume. I need to buy. I need to have. I need to obtain. That's the consumers. And we live in a country full of consumers, do we not? 
And our culture baits us more and more. You need this, Richard. You've got to have this. Okay? Cars, clothes, the latest gadgets. Hey, I've got to confess, I'm a sucker for this one, the gadgets. Most guys are, right? We like cool gadgets. Okay? Now there's, you know, and they, these consumers are called the spenders. Alright, that's the ditch. It's a serious ditch over here on the left. Then we got over here on the right, we've got the hoarders. Hoarding. Okay, we see TV programs about this. Some of us. It's frightening. Okay, but you got these two ditches. The ditch on the right now is the hoarding ditch. Okay, that means you've got to hold on, you've got to get stuff for tomorrow. And you've got to save. Now, these people have a mindset of, what if? Okay, they're always asking, what if something happens? What if I don't get enough? What if, what if, what if I have a tragedy or some problem? The what ifs. And they're constantly thinking about that, and so they have to, or they have the what about. What about my retirement? What about my kids' school? What about, what about, what about? What about a rainy day? What if I get sick? What if I lose everything? Well, you'll be right back where you started. Now, these people are called the savers. Now, this is a deceptive because the people here on the right think they're better than the people on the left. And you know the crazy thing about this is that these people, there's a great tension between them, but they often intermarry. Ever notice that? you got the consumer husband... And the saver wife, or you got the consumer wife and the saver husband, and they marry each other. Man, you want to talk about a, a toxic environment. Opposites attract. Now, if you're smart, later, you know, in life when you get married, you can think about that. But usually this is what happens. They, they intermarry. But you know something that, 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 that's deceptive? Savers think, well, I'm a little like God. Because God's into saving, right? He saves. So I'm more godly. I'm like God. I save. And the, co- the consumers, they're, they're dead. They're guilty. They both have something in common. The spenders... And the hoarders, or the savers, both of them, they are both self-centered. They're inherently self-centered. Both live as this, if, if there's no God in their lives. i got to consume. i got to get and i got to have because if not, who else can I depend on? I need this. To provide me with security in my life. And both are consumed by the G word. You know what the G word is? If they're in big letters. Greed. You know, have you ever seen greed in the mirror? It's very hard to get. It's almost like the vampire thing with, you know, in the, in the mirror. And the vampire looks in the mirror and he can't see his reflection. When greed is in your life and you look at the mirror, you, you can't see it. When's the last time that somebody walked up to you and said, uh, Hey, Robert, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with greed right now. 
I'm a greedy man. Can you, can you pray for me? Nobody does that. Right? In fact, we, we rationalize greed. You know, no, I'm not greedy. I'm, I'm responsible. I'm, I'm trying to be careful about what I have and make sure that I'll be ready for tomorrow. Okay? That's, that's godly. That's responsible. Okay? But l- let's, let's, let's break it down, though. Let's, let's look at... I think we get backwards instead of forward. Here we go. See the gadgets? They don't work. Now, I'm going to condense it for you. The Bible talks a lot about greed. Okay? But this is a condensed version. Greed is, according to the Bible, the assumption that it is all for my consumption. Meaning... Everything that I get is for me and my consumption. 100% of it. That's greed. Both suffer. Both the hoarders and the consumers suffer from the same problem. And, you know, the, the greed issue can affect everybody. Some people think that rich people are greedy. Now, you can be poor and be greedy. You can be in the middle and be greedy. The consumer is my consumption now. I've got to get it now while I can, because who knows about tomorrow. The, the hoarder is my consumption later. But in the middle, what, what's at the core? It's all about me. I've got to take care of me. And both live like there is no God. Now, these are people that go to church. A lot of people that fall in these two areas, they go to church. They love God. But if you were to break it down in the big decisions of their lives, when they run out or when they run into a wall, who do they turn to? What kind of decisions do they make when the times get tough? They pull back. And they make big decisions. Well, i got to be careful. i got to be sure that... I'm taken care of. So they'll get a second job. They'll go out there and they'll shipwreck their family and their faith. And this is serious. And and what we're talking about today, when money is your chief concern, your ultimate dependence lies, you are fueled by greed. When it's your biggest concern day to day, you're either on one of those two areas. And it's a problem. And you don't need God anymore. Because you have your, you have your money and you have your situation all set so that God is not that significant role in your life. Until, until you hit a very serious wall in your life. Then what? When the bottom falls out. Then what? Who do you call on? Who do you invite into the situation when things get really, really bad? It's not your mom. First person you call. Oh, God. Please help me out of this situation. And then the prayer begins. How did you get yourself into that situation? And this is something that we, as a, as, 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 as a church, and if you're visiting here with us today, this is something to think about before it happens. 
You want to put God in the front part of your life so that He is the priority, that He is, he is intricately involved in the equation from the very beginning. And it's deceptive because a lot of people, and, and the truth of the matter is, for most Americans, God is the backup plan, financially speaking. You know what we do to God? We put Him in His proper place. And we treat him sometimes like a pet. Sit. Stay. Stay. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to work and I'm going to do my life and I'm going to do my finances and I'm going to put it all together. But you, you're right there. And, you know, and occasionally I'll, I'll give you some money. Okay, I'll put it in the tray on Sunday and I'll, I'll give you some money. But we put God, we think we can put God in this, this, this quad, you know, this, this area of our lives and not have him be deeply involved until the bottom falls out and then something changes. And then we realize we are completely vulnerable. And, and this is just the serious thing. Look what, look what Peter talked about in this. But set in your hearts apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. This is what the Bible says. God is not interested in helping you like a 911 call. He's not interested in that. He's not interested in that compartmentalized place in your life. This is what He wants. He wants you to set aside Christ as what? Let me show you, let me show you Lord. This is Lord. I bow to you. I kneel down to you. You rule my life. You say jump, I jump. You say move, I move. Set aside Christ as Lord. Does this describe your faith in the area of money? Or are you still large and in charge? You can learn this the easy way or you can learn this a very difficult way. And a lot of people right now are learning a very, very hard lesson about money. It's tragic. But the great news is, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you can fix this. You can fix this and you can make it right and you can laugh about it a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I paid off my debt. I'm out of the woods. Isn't that awesome? You can fix your finances, but the real question is, are you going to fix your heart? Is Jesus going to have the right, proper place in your life? If He does, money's not going to affect you. It's not going to have that effect. And as Peter says here, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have or the faith that you have. Is your life demonstrating an answer? For the faith that you have. Meaning that it's obvious to people where your priorities are. That your priorities are in the right place. Over and over the Bible tells us that God does not want to help us like a 911 call. But yet we continue to do this. He wants, us to, he wants to be the master and ruler of our lives. And not a backup plan. You know what I figured out? At a very young age... If I run my life 
I'm going to make a mess. And I did a pretty good job at 21 years old. And so I just turned it in. I said, you know what? God, you do a better job running my life. I'm going to let you run it. I'm going to let you teach me, and and I'm going to let you run it. And since that point, everything changed. Everything got better. This means, this means that we need, if this, all these things that we've talked about, we need guardrails in our lives in the area of finances. We need them. And if there were ever a time in our culture right now where you can see it as clear as the nose on your face, look at what our culture has done to the manipulation and the misplacement of priorities when it comes to money. Why do you think we're in a recession right now? You think it was the real estate bubble? You know what it was? People spent way, 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 including the government, spent way, way, way more than they have. And right now is a very good time to change directions. Because I promise you in a year or two, there's going to be some more stimulus and there's going to be some more government programs that are going to want to stimulate the economy. And you know what they're going to want to tell you to stimulate the economy? Consume. Get out there and buy. And maybe even this Christmas they're going to start promoting it. Get out there and buy some things. Spend the money. It's going to help our economy. Oh, it'll shipwreck your finances and it'll ruin you, but we need to stimulate the economy. And we've got to be careful not to follow our culture that It's dead set on baiting us into ruin. And this is a great opportunity to to put guardrails in our lives. And I want to say this. All of us in the ministry staff, our heart's desire is to help you with your marriage and your family and your personal life and your faith. But me, as your minister, I have neglected this area of faith-centered living as it pertains to finances. And just so you know, if you're visiting here with us, we don't talk about it a lot, but from here forward, we're probably going to talk about it a lot more. Because as I'm talking with people and sitting down to people, there's devastation in our fellowship. People's lives are being ruined. Believers' lives are being ruined because of not having a faith-centered living or life in regard to money. It's serious. And it's so sad to hear the stories. And I would even say, as I've reflected over these past five or six years, I've fallen into a few traps myself personally. Trying to be responsible for and have these great plans about my future 10 years, 20 years down the road. Big mistake. And so today we're going to begin. And and next year we're going to continue to grow. And the question is, big question is, who do you really depend on and who do you really trust? Or what do you really depend on and who and what do you really trust? Let's open our Bibles. You got them, right? And if you don't, it's okay if you're visiting here with us. We we use the Bible. It's not always up on the screen. Let's look at a passage of Scripture that talks about this. And and let me me, uh, eliminate any doubt, okay? If our contribution goes up today and this week or this month, I don't get a raise. I don't do that. This is not about me and what I make. We do not run the church that way. 
This scripture that we're going to read is my main motivation in protecting you, protecting us from our culture and from the pitfalls of faith. Look at what it says here, Timothy, uh, letter to Timothy from Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is greater gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now we're in the generation now where there are a lot of young people who like to pierce themselves. I don't like to pierce myself. I mean, really painful stuff. I go, why do you do that? But it's one thing to pierce yourself. It's another thing to pierce your family and your children and your heart and your life. If you don't know how to manage money right, godly and spiritual way, you're going to face a lot of grief. And the Bible's trying to protect us from that grief, that pain. And you may think, well, I, I've got it down. I've, I've got it together. I don't have any debt. i got no consumer debt. Yeah, but you're still on that other side of saving, of hoarding. And we look at those programs on television and we say, oh man, how did that person get into that situation? they got stuff stacked to the ceiling. You can't even get in the house because they got so much stuff. How did they get there? And we feel so, oh, that person's got psychological problems. How did they get there? They got there because they hear the commercials day in and day out. You need, you need, you need. Get, get, get. Buy, buy, buy. And they're so worried about tomorrow that they hoard all this stuff. It's so sad. But we can avoid that if we have the right perception on money. Interesting thing he says here in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. How many of you have been on member missionary trips in the last uh, five or six years? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. What was one of the most interesting things that you noticed about people in the third world compared to what they have and their happiness? There's all, yeah, they're happier with less, right? Now, when I remember missionary trips, we, we go and we live with people. We don't just visit their homes. We live and stay in their home for a week. We get a taste of what it's like to live in their world for a week. It always blows my mind. How is it that people that live in the third world with considerably less are happier than the great USA with people that have so much more? Why is that? Because they've learned the secret of contentment. Meaning, your happiness will not be derived on you having more. More is not better. More can be deceptive. And this is what Paul is teaching Timothy here. Be careful in this area. Teach people about money. Because it can affect their faith. And it says here in verse 10, that money is not the root of all evil. Right? Money's not bad. Money's, I mean, we're talking about pieces of paper with pictures of people you'll never meet. You're never going to see these people. Right? And yet it can be such a focus for us. 
He's saying money isn't the problem. It's the love of it. It's the security base of it. It's the going after it. It's the prioritizing. It's the worry. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Jump on over to verse 17 in the same chapter. Look what, look, look what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Does God want you to live on bread and water and give the rest of the church? No. He wants you to enjoy life. But He wants you to have the right priorities. And, and why would Paul tell Timothy to command the rich people? Why is it such a big deal? And look, he goes on to say in verse 18, Command them to do good and to be rich in what? Good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of the life that is truly life. Wow. You want true living? Or you want empty living? You want a donut for breakfast? Or you want steak and eggs? A huge... Cream covered. I mean, I know what I would want, but what I need, steak, eggs, potatoes. Because it's going to last longer, right? You won't get the hangover or the headache, the sugar rush, and the crash. The same principle works when it comes to living. We're coming up on the happy season right now. Why is it so happy? Sometimes for the very wrong reason. It's a silly season for some people. You know why? Because people get all out of whack with money. And the commercials start going and going and going. Let's watch a commercial. Turn down the lights. Let's watch a commercial about the happy season. Come back to this. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Ho, ho, ho! Happy holidays! Oh, I hope you didn't put all those on the credit card. Yeah, why? Do you know what those interest charges are going to do to us? Our new Capital One Don't get rated this holiday season. Get a new Capital One card. Okay, so you get the picture, right? Yeah. The whole idea is, and they paint this picture like this credit card company is better than the rest. They're not going to pillage you. I have news for you. This credit card company has become in the last two years one of the worst. 
See, now other credit card companies would settle and reduce your loan amount. This particular got the lawyers out, and they're not reducing anything. In fact, they bumped their interest rate up. Instead of 9%, now it's 27%, which makes it impossible for you to pay off that amount. And that's a whole other lesson and stuff. But I'm just saying there are pitfalls out there that, are, that will ruin you and they will enslave you. So what's the secret? Give me the answer. All right, let's start talking about guardrails. One of the keys, this is a huge key to faith-centered living. Developing habits in your life where you walk in faith. Okay, and I'm going to teach you very simple principles. Number one is, first thing you do when you get a paycheck, what should you do? Give. You give. You tithe. Your first fruits. And we're going to look at a passage on that. You give. Then number two, what do you do next? You save. And then number three, you live or consume. Now, you still get to hoard and consume. Isn't that good? But this principle of 10, 10, 80 can protect your life from greed. Why is this so important? 10, 10, 80. Because if you take, when immediately when you get that paycheck, when you take 10% and you give it back to God, guess what you're saying about your money? I know where this came from. I know who gave me the ability to work. I know who hooked me up with this job. And I know who's going to help me get another one if I don't, don't, can't get this one. I understand who is in charge of my life. And I clearly state it. I, I spell it out. And this protects. This is a guardrail. This, is this, this keeps you from going over on that other side. Guardrail number one, give. I started doing this as a college student. I didn't have a lot of money. I was scraping it. But I would, I would give a tithe. And since that day, it has protected me from major challenges. And it always spells it out to me. It always makes it clear. When I get money, I know where this came from. And I give it to God. And I give it to His church. As a college student. And then when I graduated from college, I got my first paycheck. And guess what I took with that first 10% of that paycheck? Gave it to God. And the local church where I was living. And you know what God has done over the years with that investment? By far, clearly, clearly, no competition. The biggest, largest investment that I've made with my money, with our money, over the last 25 years, God and His church. And what He's done with it is amazing. The number of lives that have been changed, the things that He's done has been clearly and powerfully amazing. But you know what it's done for me? It's protected me from greed. Because when I do that, the assumption is not this is all for my consumption. The assumption is this is from God and I give back to God. And this principle will save you. And then the next principle is to save 10%, which isn't a big deal. Now the government's all upset and people are all upset because people aren't spending money. What are they doing with money? They're saving it. Is that a bad thing? No, we need to get out there and spend more money. Spend, spend, spend. You will stimulate the economy. Everything will be better. We'll be back to, you know, the happy season. 
Be careful. Be careful with that one. And later on in 2011, we're going we're gonna to spend two months of the year to really indoctrinate ourselves in what the Bible teaches about money. To protect us and our children from this pitfall. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 9. It's up, it's up on the screen. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, most everybody who lives in this country is wealthy. Even the, even the, ones, the ones of us that think we're on the lower income side. Trust me. Low income almost doesn't exist in this country unless you decide you want to be there. This, this country is so blessed. But the Scripture's teaching us, honor the Lord with your wealth and with what? The first fruits of all your crops. Not part of your crops. All of it. Meaning, in those days, they didn't have a bank account or they didn't have a paycheck. What did they have? What did they receive? Crops. That was their income. Because that was their way of deriving revenue. Was crops. This goes all the way back to Genesis, Cain and Abel. You'll even see the lesson right there between Cain and Abel. Abel gave from here the first fruit. Cain, not from all, what was left over. And there was something tweaked about his heart. And so there became this competitive edge between the two. And Cain killed Abel. So sad. That's what money can do. If you're not careful, that's what it can lead to. And then all the way along, you see the back and forth struggle of Israel and the people of God and how they've gone back and forth with money. And then what's what's it say? And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be filled, will will be brim over with new wine. What's he saying here? God will bless your life because you have the right perspective on things. Let me show you a little photograph here. This is something that I wish I'd have taught my kids when they were little. I can still teach them. But this principle is so important for you parents. If you have little kids, start teaching them this principle now. It will save them from piercings and grief and hardships. Because I don't want my kids and my kids' kids to be fighting with their spouses over golf clubs and cars. Marriage is more important than that. And if you follow these principles for living, you won't have those griefs. First thing you do, give, save, then spend. Give, save, and spend. Look what the proverb says, 22.7. The rich will rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. You know what you do when you borrow money? And this is a very important thing. Do not spend, this is another guardrail, bigger than this one. Do not spend more than you make. Don't do it. I don't care how much the incentives are. But you'll understand, I get three times rewards. I get points, I get rewards. I can fly for free, I can go on this trip, I can do this. I mean, this awards program is the best. So, more I spend, guess what? The more I get. Trust me, it doesn't work like that. That's bait. Again, our culture baits us right to the edge until we're over the edge. And then criticizes us. How, how could you do that? Are you stupid? Why would you spend more than you make? They weren't telling you that in the beginning. And this is very important. We don't want to be slaves to anyone. 
When you have debt, guess who you're working for now? Your employer. And they're fair because they're going to pay you for what you do. But the bank or the credit card company, you're working for them now. So when you get your paycheck, guess what they're going to do? Um, <clears throat> Richard, give me, give, me, give me a part of that paycheck. <laughs> and you're working for them. Your hard-earned money is being spent for them. So they can sit in their offices and high-rises and go on their trips and a lot of other this stuff. The Bible's teaching us clearly right here. Do not live in debt. Don't borrow. Save. Pay with cash. And this is another guardrail. Do not indebt yourself. Learn to pay with cash and you'll be blessed. Now, we, there's a lot of talk out there about financial independence or, i.e., financial freedom. What is that? Financial independence is living independently, really. It is financially, living independently of serving your money as a security base. It doesn't rule you. You don't have to allow money to dictate how you're doing and where you're at. And you can say this, I can live my life for God and money is a tool that I use. It's an instrument. It doesn't rule me. It serves me. I don't serve it. And you're free from the power of greed. By simply giving a tithe, you're setting yourself free. It's clear. But then following those other principles of saving instead of spending, setting aside money, and then taking that 80% or wherever you decide, you can play with that 80% if you want. If you want it to be 70, you can do 70. A lot of people, what we'll tell them if they're in high debt, will say live on 70% and pay down your debt with 20%. Man, the debt goes down real quick. And people have gotten out of debt real quick. And they get their freedom back. But they work for no one. The ultimate place to be is where you don't owe anyone. It's a very simple plan. Look at it. Three jars. You can teach your children this. You know, if you really want to do it, you can give them monies in, in fractions, and tenths. Okay? Take 80%, 80 tenths, 8 tenths, put that in the consuming, set aside a tenth, and give to God a tenth. This will protect their lives of so much heartache and so much grief. Look at what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Look at the word here. Serve, devote, serve. It's a heart issue. If God gets your checkbook, guess what? He's got you. He's got your heart. Jesus taught this principle. We looked at it last week. Where your heart is, your treasure is. He's got you. You're, you're protected from that pitfall. But then he goes on to share. And this is where it breaks down for some of us. So do not, verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall I drink? Or what shall I wear? Jesus is giving us this scripture to, to not let money steal our peace. So you can have peace in your heart. And you don't have to let money dictate how you're going to do today emotionally. 
And this is what people do. And look what he says. He goes on to say in verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is big. What Jesus is saying here, the pagans or the non-believers, the atheists, live like this. Faith-centered living. Now, if you, if, you, if you get one thing today, hear this. If you are truly a believer, it's got to be evident at the thing that's closest to and can affect your heart the most. And that's your money. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. Our worry over money. Are you an atheist? And you'd argue that and you'd say, no, I'm a believer. Show me. Where's your dependence? Where's your security? You walk out of here today, are you going to worry? How many nights have we spent sleepless? And I'll confess it, I'll confess it, I've spent nights sleepless worrying over money. It's wrong. I deny my faith when I do that. Listen to what Jesus says. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. What if you were to live your life, really, that you believe God knows? How am I going to pay for my kids when they go to, cool, when they go to college and to school? And what, how am I going to take care of them? What if you believe God knows that? You know what? He not only knows that, He cares. What if you were to live your life like God knows and cares? What a difference that would make. That's faith-centered living. God knows. God cares. Do you live like that? Do you walk like that? And it's time for us not to live like atheists when it comes to money. And worry equals what? Unbelief. That's what it is. And do you believe He knows? And do you believe He cares? And don't wait. You know when people figure out this 10-10-80 rule? You know when they figure it out? You know when they come to a real conviction about this? When the bottom falls out. And they've, they've imploded their financial situation. That's when these people come to a very, very big conviction. And we tell them, when they come in for help and counseling, spiritual counseling, we tell them, okay, you're in a huge debt. You know what you need to start to do? Give. What? I can't give? Yeah, you've got to give. If you want God to be a part of this equation, you've got to give. And this has happened so many times. When people start giving, they bring God into the equation, they bring His principles into the equation, and guess what starts happening? Their savings go up, their debts go down, and their spending go down. And guess what happens in here? Happier. <sighs> There's no worrying anymore. There's no stress. Because they're in control again. He's in control again. He's running the show. Jesus says, Jesus says this. He knows. You walk out of here today, Jesus says, He knows. Do you believe that? 
whatever you got to face this month or whatever financial situation you're going, He knows. He cares. You don't have a job? He knows. He cares. He's not going to let you go through any unneeded hardship. But maybe this is a time where you can grow in your faith. That's what the Bible teaches. When we go through a hard time, we can grow our faith and be stronger. Now let's break this down. I've got to show you some stuff here. Where are we at as a congregation? I've got to tell you. We're not living this. We're not living this. Give, save, consume, spend. We're not living this. We're doing the two pretty good. Saving and consuming. Probably the third one real good. But our giving trends, I want you to look at this. is our married ministry starting back in August. August to, you see the graphs, the bar graphs? What do you see up there? What's that tell you? Sporadic. Now we've got even a more breakdown than this of people's giving. And there are people in our church that are not giving very much at all. If we were to calculate our giving in the church with a tithe, we're below the poverty line. I mean, way below the poverty line. But yet I look out over here and I go, wait, 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 wait. That's not where we're at. This giving here, in October, i got to tell you, in October, we came this close to having to let a staff couple go. A ministry couple go. Because i tell you, in the church, we are going to live within our means. We, we will not spend. Maybe a few years ago we did that. We will do that no more. In the church, we will spend what we have. And just so you know... I don't run after this lesson when we take up the contribution. I don't run back there to the back room and get a pillowcase and take all the money, throw it over my shoulder, and and leave. That's not the way it works here in this church. We have a regional financial committee of people that do not get paid by the church who oversee and manage the money of our church. In fact, we have a policy that if somebody gives me a check, I don't take it. And people do this to me. They say, oh, I got this money for for the contribution. Can you take it? I said, no, give it to Jim Toda, please. Give it to Joe Newfield. Give it to somebody else. Because we want it to be clear. I don't get a raise if this starts going flat and goes up. No, we've already said it. The board of directors for the L.A. Church has set a salary model in place. I don't need any more. I'm good. But we want to do so much more. And this doesn't have to do with the giving. This has to do with your spiritual state. In our church, there has been many griefs when it comes to money because we spend more than we make and we don't include God in the equation. There's no way we're tithing. All right? That's the married ministry. See it? Okay? Let's go. Maybe the singles. Maybe they're doing a little better. What do you see? There's one week in there that... It went up a little bit the next week, but you don't, you don't see that. How about the campus brothers and sisters? You see the same pattern. Why, why do I want to show you this? Because it's not a habit, it's not a culture that we have developed as a people of faith 
I take my first fruit. First thing I do with my check, I give it to God. As I shared, we came real close. Thankfully, we didn't have to let this staff couple go because the L.A. church came through for us and said, we're going to help them out because we value them at the L.A. church level. I'll go ahead and say it. It's okay if I say it. We almost had to let John and Nancy Mantle go. October 1st. That close. And it's not because we need to give more. I'm not asking you to do more than you can. I'm asking you to do what God has asked you to do. Faith-centered living. That you will take the first fruits of what you receive consistently. Each check, each month, that you'll give it to God. And we've got brothers of faith that will manage it. It's not for me. It's, it's for us. It's for our, our future. It's for our children. And what we can do there. Thankfully, we got through that one. But what, what's going to happen? If we don't really change, there's going to be more grief in our fellowship. And so, the reality check. Here in our, in our region, we have the lowest facility costs of any region in the L.A. Church. We have, we have nickeled and dimed our budget to the bottom. This facility here costs us less than any other facility in the L.A. Church. We are blessed. You know, we, we, we cut salaries and budgets and, you know, we've, we, this goes beyond tough times. And, and we can't say, well, you know, we're going through a tough situation in our economy. That's why our contributions are so low. No, 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 no. We know the information. We know the breakdown. It's not about that. There are members that they just don't give. They give a dollar or two dollars. You know, you can do what you want. It's your decision. This is your faith. It's not my faith. It's your decision. But me, I'm trying to ask you to protect your life from greed, which will ruin you. It will mess up your relationship with God. It will mess up your relationship with your family. And you do not have a right view of how money should be in your life. God wants to bless us. Where is your faith investment? Really? I'll tell you where mine is. You and this church. Over the last 25 years, without question, the biggest and best investment that I've ever made has been in God and His church. And I'm not worried, well, what happens? How are my kids going to go to college? They'll do fine. They're going to make it. And we'll do what we have to do. I don't have this, you know, golden nest egg or anything like that. It'll happen. I'm not going to worry. But this is so important. This is my treasure. Our faith. Our group. Our church. Look what he says here. And, and you got to see when you, you start to take out the, the wrong thing, you got to put in the right thing. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6 33. But seek first his kingdom and what? His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you also as well. If you put things in the right place, everything's going to fit together in the right way. Ask some of the people who give generously to the church. And I want to be honest with you. You know who some of our biggest givers in the church are? School teachers. And you're probably going through, okay, they're school teachers, they're school teachers. Don't worry about that. How do you explain 
School teachers are giving more than some people who run companies and who make a lot of money. How do you explain that? Because their greatest treasure is in God's kingdom. It's their first priority. And I'm blown away because there are members of our church, brothers and sisters, they are, they are giving so much and they're being so generous. When we give in the missions contribution in the spring for our churches in Central America, it is so blow away to see hearts. But there are many here today. And it's not because you're going through a tough time financially and you've gone through, you've faced through hardship. This is about your heart. You start doing this and things, God promises, it will get better. But you've got to replace the priorities. You've got to rearrange things. As I share with you, if this country rearranged things for six months in the area of money and sex, do you know what would happen? I would be blow away. But if we do this in the church... What we're talking about right here, this simple, look, look, three jars. It's so simple, these guardrails. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. You don't have to be an accountant. Just 10, 10, 80. Growing our faith and building family. That is our objective in this church. And if we're going to do that, everyone just needs a tithe, not, not give Sell your house. Sell your car. We want it all. No. Just give a tithe. Give what the Bible asks. If we just did that, look at some of this stuff that we've got. A few months ago, we sent Wendell Scoggins. We didn't send him. We lost him. They wanted to hire him. We couldn't. If everybody just tithed, just gave a tenth, their first fruits, all of our believers, we could hire him. We could call him up and say, hey, hey, come on back. I don't know if he would, but we could do that. Our, our team leaders, not just pay Mike Mead a, a stipend, which is right now that's all we're doing, we pay him very little, and he's working real hard for that. But we could take care of Mike. We could take care of Ayumi. We could have worship leaders, people that that's their focus, to lead the worship. We could get a Kingdom Kids curriculum that's up to date. I mean, 21st century stuff that will get our kids, you know, that will get capture their attention. There's great stuff out there, but we, we don't have it. We don't have the resources. And there's so many things that we can do if we would just adhere and adapt this principle. In closing, before we take the communion, what did Jesus give for you? Do you think a tithe is too much to ask? Do you think of managing your money and being responsible in the way that God teaches is too much to ask? As we reflect on the cross right now in the communion, I want you to consider where your heart is. Where's your treasure? Where's your security? I believe God wants to bless His church. But He will bless a church when the faith is in Him. Truly. When we walk by faith. We have grown so much this year in our faith. I'm so proud of so many of you and how your faith is just shot. But in this area, 
mm, we got a ways to go yet. But I'm so excited about where we're going to be and what we're going to do. Because I know you're right there. I know you want to do this. And I know you see it's right. So let's take that first step. Let's reflect on the cross. We're going to listen to a song now uh, about in Christ alone as we take the communion. Let's pray.